This podcast is part of the Robots Radio Rocket Club, a program designed to help all podcasts reach their full potential. For information about joining the Robots Radio Rocket Club, check out robotsradio.net. Welcome back to another episode of Two Girls, One Ship, the podcast where we analyze, rate, and review all that the world of video game romances has to offer. I'm Genesis, the girl who is just at the start of Act 3 on her will run. I did make one quote-quote bad decision, though, that I actually have no idea what the consequences will be long-term. But that's half the fun. Yeah. <laughs> And I'm Bravada, the girl with a cat in her lap, wearing a purple sweater with some wine. I just want to know, am I Gail Dicarios? I mean, I think we are Gail. For sure. Kitty is there. Wine is there. Books are over there. Oh, yes, the books as well. And I'm quite long-winded. I don't know if any of you have noticed, but... <laughs> It's more of an Elminster thing, but we'll get to that. So if you're new here, welcome to the beautiful chaos. But you should know that our podcast centers on character and romance analysis and doesn't shy away from exploring the fun of fucking. Or from the deep emotional connections built between two or more characters using specific in-game dialogue. So if you want to stay spoiler free, then this is not the podcast for you. So here's your fucking spoiler alert. Thanks for the spoiler alert, N7, and serious Act 3 spoilers, and end-of-game spoilers. Listeners, beware! Also, on the day of this recording, a ginormous patch dropped, changing many aspects of a lot of the romances, some of them of which we have already discussed. Now, I have an idea on how to handle this situation, but V and I will discuss that offline later. So just keep in mind that the romances we have talked about so far, and the romances that we will probably continue to talk about, are still the Patch 5 version. So, just like with all of our previous episodes, we'll assume that you have some background knowledge of the game and character in question but we'll be providing context for those of you who may be unfamiliar. Today, we are still in Faerun, but we start in the Western Heartlands in the city of Waterdeep. We will eventually make our way to the Sword Coast. Imagine, if you will, that you show an immense magical talent and promise from a young age. So much so that you attract the attention of the goddess of magic herself. She collects you like a magpie collecting shiny things, but you and your youth and naivete mistake this possession as affection. The gods and goddesses of Faerun do not feel as we mortals do, yet you seek even a glimmer of validation and love in the depthless eyes of your goddess. Each feat of magic is an effort to stay relevant, to earn her love. One day you go too far and touch a magic that was never meant to be, created by the last wizard with far too much ambition. Sick with this tainted weave, you lock yourself away in your tower for a year, desperately researching in any dusty tome for some bit of help. Your goddess has forsaken you. 
Yergale Dicarios of Waterdeep from Baldur's Gate 3. Let's see. I hail from Waterdeep, city of splendors. I am a wizard of considerable acclaim and scholar of exceptional accomplishment. I have a cat, a library, and a weakness for a good glass of wine. And if the mood takes me, I'm known to try my hand at poetry. <laughs> Just like V and Gale both said, Gale was born in the city of Waterdeep, and he was a prodigy of magic, learning to wield the weave as well as wizards twice his age with minimal effort or study. Raising such a magical child was clearly a unique challenge. For instance, one year for his birthday, Gale asked for a kitten. But his parents refused, so he summoned himself a tressim, a magical, talking, winged cat, to be his companion and familiar. Tara the Tressum became his closest friend, and it kept Gale's mother company as Gale aged and left to attend school at the prestigious Black Staff Academy, a school for wizards and sorcerers. Gale's also almost a mama's boy, speaking at length about her with much affection and nostalgia. He even has her last name, Dakarios. But he doesn't mention his father, like, at all. Blackstaff Academy was the perfect place to nourish his young little wizard mind, and Gale believed he was destined for greatness even from such a young age. You know, that ego dough. Gale was already known to cause some mild magical mayhem, having summoned a magma method by accident at one point, but his mystical misadventures continued at the Academy. He attempted to cast a portal spell with the black staff itself. And while it worked, he didn't end up in his dormitory the way he intended, but instead placed him in limbo. He startled a death slad, which made it an angry death slad. And before he could be rotted away, the current black staff archmage pulled Gale back and punished him with chores. I do love me some good school shenanigans. Picturing Gale at Hogwarts is amazing, and I love it. <laughs> Gale was eventually mentored by the legendary and absolutely entirely too long-winded and probably hungry Elminster Armar, a familiar name to those of you who even have a passing knowledge of Faerun. The Sage of Shadowdale assisted Gale in his further mastery over the weave and the arcane arts, becoming something like a father figure to him. All his magical talent was noticed by the very goddess of magic herself, Mistra. She made him one of her chosen, or a mortal who is special to their specific deity. It's unclear exactly how old Gale was when this happened, but he was still young, and Mr. became a teacher, a muse, and eventually a lover to Gale. Like all deities, Mr.'s attention eventually wandered from Gale, and he attempted to rekindle her interest in him by showing her that he was her equal. 
I say? She's... She's Mistra. I can't quite describe it. The need I sometimes feel to see her. To draw the filaments of fantasy into existence. No sculpture or painting could ever do her justice. Only the fabric that she herself is and embodies. The weave. Mistra is all magic. As far as I'm concerned, she is all creation. Maybe she's born with it. Maybe she's an incarnation of Mistral. Anyway, enough nerd talk. Or actually, just kidding. It's just starting. So this whole clip, isn't it weird? Like, if you're trying to romance him and Gail's talking about his ex, who's like literally a goddess, doesn't that kind of make it hard to romance him? Like, doesn't it feel weird? What chance do we, mere mortals, have when Gail has tasted the power and essence of divinity? It's kind of hard to compete with. But it'll get better. In his quest to do something so noteworthy it returns his goddess's gaze to him, Gale had heard the tale of Carsus's folly. This spoke of Carsus, an ancient wizard who attempted to reach godhood via his netherese magic, and instead destroyed himself and his whole civilization. For a brief moment in time, even, all magic was destroyed. Mistral was ended, and Mistra was incarnated moments later, creating some rules for the weave. Like, nobody can destroy all civilization with it now. Allegedly. Instead of hearing Carsus's folly as a cautionary tale, Gale heard an opportunity. He went in search of a tome with a scrap of errant weave, hoping to return a lost part of Mistra to her and earn her approval once more. Instead, he found the Netherese orb. Mistral was reborn as Mistra. Upon her return, the weave returned with her. Now, so many centuries later, I try to follow in the footsteps of Carsus, not to destroy Mistra, but to prove my love for her, and try to control only a fraction of the magic that was unleashed that fateful day. I merely sought to return one tiny diamond to an imperfect crown. Gale's folly, one might call it. History, repetition, it's the way things go. Did you hear that? He calls it Gale's Folly, likening himself to Carsis, the wizard who destroyed all magic for a spell. He's right. History bears repeating because of a little something called hubris. This is Gale's tragic flaw, which, like Astarian, may become a fatal flaw depending on player choices. Gale has a ton more opportunities to die than Astarion, that's for sure. Hubris means excessive pride or self-confidence, but specifically in Greek tragedies, where the word originates from, it means excessive pride toward or defiance of the gods, leading to nemesis. Nemesis is the inescapable agent of someone's downfall. And for Gale, it's a dark mass of angry magic balled up in his chest. The orb. Instead of returning a small diamond to an imperfect crown, Gale found a hungry evil magic that needed to be fed pieces of the weave. Pieces of Mistra, just to stay quiet. 
should Gale activate the orb, or not feed it in time, it will explode, killing him and anyone within a city's length from him. While Gale was tangentially worried about the orb's potential damage, he was more focused on the more painful aspect of his hubris, Mistress' anger towards him. When she learned of Gale's folly, she removed him as her chosen, ended their relationship, and ceased all contact, like she ghosted him. The gods only answered Gale when he wasn't praying, it seemed. Now that he needed saving, he was abandoned, left to deal with this ancient and forbidden magic on his own. It is a testament to Gale's true power as a wizard that he is able to survive at all. He secluded himself in his tower, because all wizards need a good tower. And with the help of Sweet Tara, he spent most of his time gathering magical items for him to consume. Perhaps he researched some on how to fix the orb, but mainly he became a hermit, depressed and abandoned by the very goddess who'd once called him special. Somehow, eventually, he must have left his tower, possibly in search of a magical artifact, and was captured by the Nautiloid and given another foreign mass to harbor in his body, in a lithid tadpole. We can assume that Gale tried to portal his way out of the ship before it crashed, but kinda got stuck in the process. You can find him literally stuck in a waypoint near the Nautiloid crash. Now if you happen to be playing as the Dark Urge, please don't fantasize about hacking off the hand. Or do. Feed your urges. I won't tell anyone. But we are romancing him. So make sure your pullout game is strong. And woo! Now he's part of our party. It's not long after that he tells you about this unfortunate appetite for leather Chanel boots and other such accessories. And as long as you give him magical items to eat, you'll earn his approval. Unlike Astarian, Gale approves when you do just about anything nice but especially in cases where there is no reward. He approves of kindness towards animals and children, avoiding violent situations, and showing interest in the arcane arts. Oh yeah, get a man to talk about themselves. They sure love it. <laughs> but Gail, especially because he's just got so much to say in his little brain. He's just so smart. As one of the most morally good characters also in your party, Gail dislikes unnecessary violence, Acts of stupidity, being cruel, and showing judgment for his condition. Like, just go along with it, okay? It was an accident. Despite being so morally good, Gale is ambitious. You do not get to be the chosen of Mistra at such a young age without a hefty dose of male confidence. It helps that he's so naturally gifted. They say Shadowheart is God's favorite princess, but I kind of feel like Gale is. Gale's self-worth comes from the pride he has in his intellect. He doesn't have much self-esteem beyond that. And this has even taken a beating from his horrible Netherese mistake. He is still very tempted by power, much like his foil, Astarian. One of the few non-evil actions Gale actually disapproves of is if you attempt to destroy the necromancy of Thay, hinting that he has not fully mastered the temptation that dangerous magical items represent. Hmm. He is also 
one of the only companions who was all for making a deal with the devil Raphael. Even more so than Astarian. Once Raphael has made his initial offer to your party, Gail will have some astute observations on the matter. Do you feel as flattered as I do? Fighting to dine with a devil? <laughs> yes, they offer you an apple, but they're the worm that lurks within. Still, don't let his bluster fool you. All that talk of desperation, it merely illustrates his own. I think he wants something from us. Badly. And in that knowledge lies our opportunity. He goes on to say that the two things they know for certain are, one, their tadpoles are special and more powerful, and two, that devils hardly go around offering deals for nothing in return. So Raphael must really want the tadpoles' power for some reason. He says that they should wait and see what kind of mighty bargain they can make. Also, he says the denizens of the hells can be summoned up by their ambition, as can many humans, Gale himself included. If there's one thing Gale is good at, it's retrospection. Gale is all too aware of his own flaws, but unfortunately, his tragic flaw, his hubris, forces him to constantly overestimate his own power and responsibility. Only through careful prompting from the, from the player will Gale be allowed to narrowly avoid the worst outcomes to his story. I think his observations on Raphael really illuminate the greater aspects of his character. If there's one thing I think the writers did very well in this game, and to be clear, there is way more than just this one thing, is that each companion is intrinsically tied to the main narrative to varying degrees. It makes each companion feel much more like a main character in their own right, not merely a supporting cast member. That makes it feel like the choices you make regarding them matter, have more impact on the world state. The actions of your companions affect who will, become, who will come to your aid in the final battle, where you can go, and even if you live or die. Will is the son of the Duke of Ravengard, who is important to the Absolute's plan to take over. Halson's a childhood friend of the spirit of what's now the Shadow Curse lands, and also like the only way to cure them. Minthara is a former thrall to the Absolute, now out for revenge. Karlak has a justified vendetta against Gortash. Shadowheart stole the artifact. And Lazel's a Githyanki, the natural foe to the Illithids. Astarian kind of has the weakest link to the main quest, and is really just there to look cute and provide insight into the society of Baldur's Gate. Gale, on the other hand, has the power to take the power that's controlling the Absolute, the Crown of Karsis, and become a god if he wants. And if he doesn't, he has the power to single-handedly destroy the Absolute by activating the orb in his chest in Act 2 or Act 3, although I highly do not recommend doing that in Act 2. Two, or really at all. Right? Why waste a perfectly good Gale? Yeah, please don't. Now, Gale is connected to the main narrative of the game in a firmer way than the other companions. So his personal quest cannot be finished until you actually finish the game and defeat the Netherbrain, aka the Absolute. He is a slow burn romance. 
with no sex scene in Act 1 at all. I mean, even Will can have a kiss. But Gail will insist that the orb is too volatile for any undue rise in emotion. However, you can have a very touching scene where Gail shares the weave with you. And when prompted, you can get to choose to imagine some romance with Gail, and he will see it. And then he will get adorably flustered. The weave connects you. The moment feels intimate. You realize the weave is making you one. You have but to imagine your desire, and Gale will know it. I... I didn't think. You perceive quick-fire gusts of embarrassment, trepidation, and finally, elation. Sorry, I wasn't expecting... But it is a pleasant image, to be sure. Most pleasant, in fact. Most welcome. The weave evaporates, and as it does so, you realize the night feels suddenly cold and lonesome. Oh, there it goes. How easily things slip away from us, no matter how hard they were in the obtaining. Good night. I enjoyed sharing a moment of magic with you. Oh, I love that one. I know. Okay, like, even though A Star In is my, like, ride or die romance, Gail has 13 audio clips for a reason. I think A Star In only had nine. But, like, have you heard Gail speak? Yeah. I couldn't help it. He's so cute. Yep. Yep. Um, yeah, because that was already audio clip number five. <laughs> and there's a lot more to go. <laughs> I mean, he. everything he says matters so much, too, though. Like, he's just, he just cuts right to the point, even though he also is... He paints such a pretty picture with his flowery words, his loquaciousness as it is. So, okay. The clip that we just heard. These first tentative steps into a new relationship will have Gail falling into old habits, unfortunately. That's a trap we often fall into. That is, he is connecting to you through the weave, through magic. He doesn't know what it is to be loved for who he is, as he is, a mortal man. I'm not sure exactly how long he spent as Mistress Plaything, but it was long enough to make him incredibly unsure of his physical self and instead rely heavily on impressing people with magic. Also, not sure how young he was when that started either, so Mistress is a bitch. But... Gale is a mortal man, at least for now. When you ask him how he felt about what you imagined your desire to be, he will say this. Oh, I was surprised. But pleasantly so. Just like I said. Amid the madness that has befallen us, it seems almost out of place to think of a kiss. And yet, now more than ever, it's important to recall what makes us human. A stolen glance. That sudden heartbeat. Sometimes the little things are worth more than kingdoms. They promise things to come. <laughs> yeah, buddy, they do promise things to come. Now this very dialogue promises further romance scenes to come, too. 
But more importantly, Gail says right here, what is at the heart of his personal quest? And sometimes the little things are worth more than kingdoms. Are they also worth more than divine ascension? That remains to be seen. But for Gale to realize that he doesn't need huge, grand gestures to be enough, it's really wonderful for him. It's all he's known. It's all that's expected of him. To be a child prodigy is to be an adult with anxiety who expect perfection from themselves. Every failure is personal. Was why he sought some scrap of the weave to return to Mistra, even after all of his power as a child, his performance at Blackstaff, and being chosen by Mistra herself, and then to become her lover. He still didn't feel like he was worthy. Now, now he is being asked to die to prove his worth. At the end of Act 1 and into Act 2, you will run into Elminster himself. Or if you got curious and decided to kill him, you can see it's actually a simulacrum. But in any case, he's real enough to pass on this message from Mistra. Quote, If you blow up yourself in the absolute, I'll be happy to retroactively forgive you. Okay, thanks, bye. End quote. Not really. Elminster babbles on for a few more minutes about wanting some cheese, and then he goes back to whatever dusty tower he currently inhabits as Mistress Chosen himself. Forced to grapple with his apparent doom, Gale will be quite melancholy for a while. Of course, Gale doesn't have to do this, no matter how pressured he might feel by Mistra, by proxy of Elminster at first. If Mistra could actually force him to do anything, she probably would have blown him up by now. But the gods can't directly interfere with mortals, so she can only ask. She can ask manipulatively, but ask nonetheless. Or else Daddy Ao will get really pissed. With the orb stabilized for now, however, Gale is finally free to pursue some more carnal pleasures. But before we get to pulling out all the stops to make love the way that the gods do, or simply be with the man as he is, we need to take a mid-break. So sit back and relax as you hear from our sponsors, listen to some fun facts, and thank our lovely patrons. Mid-break dance. He is adorable. I'm trying to think of how we're going to dance with him. Um, uh, Gail, what dances start with the letter G? Uh. (laughs) I have no idea. (laughs) No, it is not a fidget spinner dance. I am so mad at that phrase and I will get into that later. But oh my God, the two of you need to stop. Like, now. I will defend it. No. Just wait. (laughs) Okay. All right. Let's get to the fun facts, and then I'll Google dances that start with the letter G. Gail is portrayed by Tim Downey, who is primarily a film actor, and I think this is actually his first foray into video games. 
If you know something different, please let us know. He was in Outlander, Les Mis, and Good Omens. Love that, by the way. Among many other credits. He also has a great TikTok account where he shows off his impressive library. So maybe Gail and Tim aren't too different in their hobbies. Tim is precious and must be protected at all costs. This next uh, fact is really, it's really simple, but very cute. Um, according to multiple references of in-game dialogue, which you probably noticed if you've played this game at all, Gail's the camp cook for everybody. He makes dinner. Adorable. Love a man who could cook. Mm-hmm. Now, if Gail dies in battle, he gets a cutscene unlike the other companions. A magical projection of Gale will be over the body and implore you to revive him within two days. If you don't, meaning that you take three long rests, the Netherese orb will blow up and end your game. So don't do it. Or do do it. Revive him, damn it. I need to see this clip. I didn't look it up after seeing this fact. I just want to be like, in two business days, if you do not revivify me. <laughs> um. Oh, wait, this next fact is yours, too. So you can go. Oh, okay. I have decided that I am going to pick back up streaming because, you know, I need another thing in my life right now. At least once a week, probably on Sundays, I'm going to stream Baldur's Gate 3, playing as a Starion, romancing Gale, because I need this. I need it. Do you know their couple name? The Bloodweave? <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the Bloodweave. Oh. That was my plan, too. Next playthrough after I'm done with Dark Urge romancing a Starion is being a Starion and romancing Gale. Because then you can learn all the Astarian origin stuff and the Gale romance stuff that I haven't experienced yet. So exciting. Also, I don't know if you guys have ever looked at the stats that Larian released back in December 2023. According to those, Gale is the most played origin character, followed by Astarian. But those numbers back then, it was like 20,000 less. So Gale's a winner by far. I thought that those had updated too, and that now Will was starting to tick up the ranks. Oh, I don't know. I haven't seen updated ones because it's only been like two months. Maybe that was just an article I read that people were saying they like to play as well. Not necessarily mm. what Larian put out. True. All right. There is a theory that Gale is actually a sorcerer turned wizard due to the manifestation of his magic at young ages. Wizards in D&D learn magic through years of study. But sorcerers gain access to magic innately from something in their bloodline. So if you're playing as Gale, you can tell Halson a story about how you cast your first spell as a babe. And if Gale becomes a god, Elminster will write in a letter readable in the epilogue that Gale used fireball, not bolt, ball, on a rosebush at the age of eight. A level three spell in the second grade? Damn, Gale. Okay, Yurikat just said in chat that people play as Gale to not hear him talk. And that makes me upset because Tim Downey did a great job, first of all. 
And Gail's adorable. So everyone who finds him insufferable, like, check yourself, first of all. I don't know why. He's precious. Okay. The last fact I thought was so crazy. So if you make Gale a god, or like if he becomes a god, um, and then you take a look at him at the epilogue party, there's no combat, so you never get to see any of these in action. But if you look at his character sheet, you will see the following stats and special abilities. His strength is 12, dexterity 20, constitution 18, intelligence 30, wisdom 14, which he needs all the help he can get for wisdom, and charisma 13. And then he has four new abilities. One is the aura of possibility, meaning all allies near Gale gain a plus 10 to all ability checks. Then power word ruin is a level 9 transmutation spell. It fires three projectiles, each dealing 50 to 100 force damage. So that's cool. Form Sculpt Tressum. It's a level 9 transmutation spell. It turns a target into Tara for five turns. And then Divine Revelry. It's a level 9 enchantment spell. It conjures magic ale that applies the irresistible dance condition to all creatures within a 40-foot range. Enchantment? Enchantment? Enchantment. Yeah, so that's interesting. Now the power we're... Power word ruin. That's a good one. I like that. I like that a lot. And int level 30 totally makes sense for god level skill sets because that's what it requires. Yeah. Um, And then at that point, once you hit god level, you don't need strength. So a strength of 12 just makes you slightly higher than an average normal human. Like an average human is all stats at 10. So anything above 10 means that you're slightly to extremely better than average. Anything below that means that you are subhuman. I think he was eight before, so. (laughs) A strength of eight. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, Him and Will and Astarian are all eight. Hmm. I always respect my stats and I never let anybody have any negatives unless like, I think I, yeah. Anyways, before I get into gameplay mechanics, um, let's. Shout out a new patron. So I don't remember reading any of these names out before. So I'm going to get us caught up. Huge shout out. Major love to four new fucking patrons. Are you kidding me? Love that. Ula, a golden Caitlin, Dis, and Lavelani. Now, this brings us up to 21 lovely shipsters, and we thank each and every one of you. Big hearts, major loves to now 21 shipsters. Yay! And special shout outs, of course, to Toasty and Apollo, Becky and Daddy Bat Knight, Stoned Mystheos, Muffiny Cake, Wynn, and now including Lavelani. V, I know you have something to say about the name Lavelani. I was literally going to be like, thank you, thank you for just having that username, period. Like, great choice. Love it. And also thank you, all of you, for supporting us two girls. Because we just out here being girls, trying to 
talk about stuff. <laughs> um, and for the most part, we do good. But Jen, before we get to the little deaths, let's set the scene. Gail brings you to a constructed area that he made with some magic. A beautiful place of peace with an uninhibited view of the night sky. Non-romanced player characters will get a chance to sit with Gail as friends and reassure him that no matter what, they will be there for him. Super cute scene, too. But if you're romancing Gail, he will share his whole world with you. Or at least the room he spent the better part of the last year in after the orb entered his chest. He might have some bad memories there, but he has mostly good ones, and he wants you to see that place. Okay, Jen, are you ready to be with Gail, mind, body, and soul? My favorite spot. Many times, evening turned to night and back to daybreak once more while I sat here, lost in words. It's called The Art of the Night, and it details the first thousand nights of a newlywed king and queen. They turned everything they did into an art. The art of conversation, the art of taste, time honored and newly acquired. The art of the body, the exploration and acceptance of the self and the other. The art of the night itself. They say we take a page from their book. And this is where we have two wildly different scenes again. One of them is sweet and gentle and kind. The other hit me so hard, I was literally shaking by the end of it. So let's start with a trust fall. If you choose to have sex like the mortals do... Gale will conjure a forest for you. Like I've said many times before, the trees see everything in Faerun. You show your trust in Gale and in his magic. You stand in front of him and leap backwards while he con conjures a beautiful and solid bed for you to land on. A small gesture towards your comfort. How luxuriating. It's probably the first bed you've slept in in months. You invite him, hand outstretched towards him. He takes your hand and he does the body crawl of the gods. When you are hip to hip and mouth to mouth, it is a glorious start. Yet it fades to black way too soon for my liking. Why, oh why, should we confine ourselves to the pleasures of mortal flesh? Combining your spirit, your essence, your soul with Gale. You decide to have your spirits leave your body and you travel to the astral plane. Floating through the sea of stars, the mist, and the weave itself. Your astral projections float effortlessly. And you can ask him to show 
me more. Show me all of it. And this is what it's like. This is what sex is. It is a blending of the body and the soul together. The way that it starts off slow, with gentle exploration of hands and mouth. He says that there is too much to learn and too much to explore all in one night. And it's true, but you can sure try. When he takes your hand in his once again, it shows how your spirits can now join in the pleasure of just touching fingertip to fingertip radiates throughout your body. I cannot describe the way that this looks. Your spirits blend and pull apart. It becomes multiple bodies, multiple hands, multiple legs, yet never fully separating. Always joined at the core. And in all of my research, all of the scenes I have ever watched, all of the porn games I have played, I have never seen a representation done so well that shows how I think about sex. V has said that sex isn't a priority being Demi. Okay. Whatever the terminology is for this is the most important aspect because this is the level of joy, of out-of-body, soul-lifting, single-thought-driven experience. That is who I am. When I watched this almost three-minute-long scene... I needed a glass of wine, <laughs> and I had to remember how to breathe after. I've never experienced seeing how I feel about the magic of physical touch. I can't wait to watch this scene playing as a starian. By the hells. I can't wait to see this as one of my own tabs. Well, fuck it. I might just download that polyamorous mod just so that way I can have everybody all at once. But Gale, however, he isn't into sharing. Unless it's him astral projecting himself. <laughs> so no climbing Mount Halsen for me which is a crime against nature, in my opinion. Well, then you shouldn't be with Gale. Right? Because he wants monogamy. He's almost obsessed with you, which, you know, that's neither here nor there right now. My reaction, I, I'm really happy for you that you love that scene so much. Because I feel the complete opposite, obviously. Like, we are opposite in all things. <laughs> You described it beautifully, and that sounds really interesting to have it described that way, because I watched that scene well before Jen ever did, and I told her that it was two fidget spinners in space, because that's what it looked like to me. It wasn't, like, I didn't see the connection, because, I mean, and it's weird, because maybe I should have 
because it's just your essence. And as a demisexual person, that seems like kind of my jam. But all I saw was Gail once again using magic. And it's not really him. It's like this barrier between you and him still. He's trying to blow out all the stops. It's a beautiful scene. You're almost, as Yuri Cat said in the chat, like you're punished, kind of, as a player who's romancing Gale and you choose the I want to be with you, the man. And like, it's great that he conjures a bed. Like, that's classy and romantic and it's a beautiful ass bed. But like, you don't really see much of anything. It's like you see him kissing and it fades to black. Meanwhile, they put a lot of effort into this astral projection scene and it, it's really beautiful, but if what you're trying to do is heal Gale from like his his past with Mistra and and show him that he is enough by himself, for me, I see that and I think you should be with him as a person. So that's to me like the quote unquote right choice or like the best choice for him. But as far as the scenes go, it's a very disappointing scene to a lot of people. I prefer just him. I just want to be with him. I didn't really care that much about the scene. I actually thought it was a little bit silly with the spinning. Like, I didn't connect to that scene at all. But I am in the minority, I feel like, because you loved it. A lot of people I've talked to really loved that scene. It is beautiful to look at. Mm -hmm. I mean, there are definitely some weird bits. And I do understand how you get the fidget spinner aspect of it. Because, I mean, you do literally spin and with like, eight to 10 legs and arms and everything like that going back and forth because of like your soul is splitting and his soul is splitting and the spirits are combining back and forth. It can look funny, but I mean, obviously I loved it. I, I can't get enough of it. Yeah. So before I like, I mean, literally even thinking back about it, I, I'm losing my words. So I'm going to move on in the script. One of Gail's tropes is the covert, covert povote is the, fuck, I'm literally losing my words. This is not good. One of his tropes is the covert pervert. Thank you. you. From there. (laughs) (laughs) It takes a bit for him to open up that he wants to connect with you physically. And in contrast to his otherwise bookish demeanor, Gail does drop a few lines indicating a particular enthusiasm for giving oral. (laughs) But before I trail off thinking about what that mouth could do, let's hear what Gail has to say the morning after. I wanted to talk to you about our night together. Do you ever walk to the very edge of a great precipice and shuddered at how easy it would be to step into the void? Ever since Elminster told me of Mistress' expectations of me, it felt like I've been walking along such a cliff face. The great drop to nothingness never out of my sight. But you, you led me away from the edge. Without your words, your touch, I fear I would have sought purpose and solace in that void. Reminding me what living can feel like. I hope the end is much farther away than I had suspected. I hope that night meant as much to you as it did to me. And I hope we all have more time together. Together. Alone. 
that's what does it for me with Gail is just how poetic he is and vulnerable and open. Like we've talked about how him and Astarian are foils in another major way, whereas Astarian had this very fake, overly, like cloyingly sweet personality to try and charm you. Gail is just so awkward. <laughs> it's just naturally endearing because of that. I love him for it. So for this clip, this, you know, this, he's talking about some hard shit right here. And I think as his significant other in this playthrough, this is really lovely to hear, though. I know from personal experience how hard it can be to be with someone whose ex is still very present in their life, albeit temporarily. So having that reassurance and honesty that you are what matters to them, that you are who they love now, that's worth a lot. I think that's very reassuring. You can ask him about his feelings on Mistra more directly as well, and he will offer this very mature response. It's not easy to turn away from one you once loved, but now that I see our relationship with all the illumination hindsight has to offer, I mostly feel only regret. I was not the first wizard to fall under her spell, nor will I be the last. I was an amusement to her mortal to be trifled with, amused and eventually discarded. I regret the way I hurt her, of course I do. But she would have seen me destroy myself to earn her forgiveness. There's no love lost between us. None at all. Ugh. So mature. So, I mean, not everyone's ex is the literal goddess of magic, though. And Gail is also on that peak wizard shit. You know what I mean. High intelligence, low wisdom. See, at the end of Act 2 and into Act 3, he starts getting really excited about the crown of Karsis. Depending on player choices, he can either be prompted to regret his hubris and make a commitment to become more humble, or he can decide to reforge the crown and use it to ascend to godlike status. Why the sudden interest in the crown of Karsis, you ask? You see, when the Absolute is revealed to be an illithid netherbrain wearing the crown of Karsis at the end of Act 2, that makes Gale's astute and power-hungry mind start spinning. An artifact of Netheril. With this much power is intoxicating, and he needs to know more. To the library! Or, more specifically, Sorceress Sundries, Baldur's Gate's premier magical shop with any and all magical needs. In a very secret and secure vault that holds an invaluable tome, the Annals of Karsis. Several tomes, actually, including one of the most powerful spell scrolls in the game and the final piece to unlocking the last few pages of a book that you might have found in Act 1. But anyways, obtain the book I swear I didn't misread of the as the Annals of Karsis uh, by any means necessary and give it to Gale. Gale gets absolutely giddy with the sheer power potential in this book. Not only does it detail exactly what the Crown of Karsis is, but also how to reforge it. Gale realizes that with this, 
he can become a god. So what does Gale do? He does what Gale does best. Read. Fueled by his ambition, of course. His new plan begins to really take root. Why shouldn't he have this power? Why shouldn't he take it? Much like Astarian, he has been asked to die at the whims of his so-called better, and he has been presented a unique opportunity to become not only their equal, but perhaps even stronger than them. It all goes back to Mephistopheles, really. He gave Casador the steps for the rite of profane ascension, and he had the crown of Carsus locked up for a thousand years. Pretty convenient that it suddenly was able to be stolen. Archdevils, am I right? Who's the real villain here? Oh yeah, the gods. The Outer Plains. This is where gods dwell. They observe us from afar. Where they make playthings of us. They will keep all of this from us. The power. The possibilities. They only want us to serve them. To pray to them. And ultimately to die for them. But what if we didn't need them? What if we wielded their power instead and helped ourselves in all the ways they refused to? I could make that happen. I could make this illusion a reality. With you by my side. The setting here is so beautiful. Again, with the weaves surrounding you, you're in a ship this time made of magic the stars are glittering overhead and gale opens up to you fully this is my heart this is my soul this is the decision i am battling with am i enough for you as i am or can i prove my love for you even more by becoming a god. I used to believe Mistress Forgiveness was worth dying for. But I was wrong. You showed me just how much I have to live for. With you, I forget, my goddess. I love you. Tell me you feel the same way. Tell me you want what I want. Please. Oh, when he says, you make me forget my goddess. That that gets me, man. Mm-hmm. That gets me. Beautifully delivered, Tim. Okay, so there is a haiku I found, which inspired the title of this episode. I love haikus, my favorite. It's called Hubris by Sean McFalls. It goes, handiworks of man, self-raging toward nothing, water in the fist. As beautiful as the words in this scene are, my mind is stuck on what Gail last said. Tell me you want what I want. At this time, what he wants is to take the power of the gods for himself. He's desperate for your approval, as he once was desperate for Mistra's approval too. Once again, Gale is displaying both his hubris and his peak wizard shit, a vicious cycle. He's already tried to claim the power of Mr. for himself, or something like it. What happened? 
He became a literal time bomb that Mistra now must feed her own weave to in order to sustain the orb. But did he learn anything? Not of his own limits, that's for sure. People often view Astarian as scarier and more evil than Gale, but to me, Gale's motivations for desiring power are much more formidable. Astarian wanted to be safe, but Gale? He's just as hungry for magic as his orb. He will never be satisfied. So it's actually remarkably easy to turn Gale from... No. It's not easy for me to turn Gale from... If you've against him. Oh, okay. I'll get to it later. (laughs) Because I personally haven't been able to convince him to not go swimming for the crown yet. This is my fourth playthrough. So, yeah. I think that has a lot to do with me and my gamer style of, yes, I need more power. And oops, I've used up all my inspiration points by this point, And I can't convince you to not go swimming. Becoming a god is considered his evil ending. But once again, no judgment. I kind of like god mode Gale. He's a jackass, but there's something still about him that hits a button for me. Your playthrough is your playthrough. Although, if we're talking about what is best for Gale's character development, V thinks it's not becoming a god. However cool that is. Unlike with the other companions, when it comes time to try and convince Gale to not pursue reforging the crown of Karsis for himself, you can convince him without any kind of dialogue check if you've romanced him. It's harder for players who didn't romance Gale to convince him. But he can be convinced, apparently. It is as simple as asking if he is your lover, though. Gale aims to please, and above all things, he wants your approval. Once you've defeated the Netherbrain and convince him return the crown to Mistra, Gale will say this to you. I've decided to drop this whole Gale of Waterdeep business. It's a bit pompous, don't you think? You're now in the company of plain old Gale Decarius, a most brilliant wizard of intentionally limited renown. At your service. Now, I believe this is the moment where I should get to my point so to speak. I love you. More than I've ever loved anyone, mortal or immortal. And you've proven your love for me in more ways than even the greatest mathematicians would dare to count. That being said, I wondered if you might consider accompanying me back to Waterdeep as a new member of the Dakarius clan. Before I get too much hate, yes, I'm aware This is the better option, but I have to play the devil's advocate. I kind of like God Mode Gale, okay? Once again, you can like that all you want. I'm just saying, if what you're doing to your, your companions is what feels good to you, without considering what's good for them, you're the main character. Do it, I guess. But it's just what you feel is right for you, not necessarily for them. Also, just side note. One thing I didn't like about this is if you tell him to give the crown to Mistra, like 
she fixes his orb, so it's not a problem anymore, which I love. But there's no way, at least when I played it last, when you convince him to do that, the dialogue option also includes you like saying, oh, and then you could be her chosen again. And I'm like, fuck, mister, I don't want him to be her chosen again. I just want her to fix the orb and do what she owes him because he's giving her the crown of Carsis, right? So I'm not really sure because in the epilogue, it didn't really say if he was her chosen or not. But the dialogue option I picked made it seem like he would become her chosen again if he gave her the crown. So hate that. I wish it could just be like, here, Mr. Fix my shit. Here's your stupid crown. I never want to see you again. But I don't think that's possible. <laughs> so yeah. But anyway, we'll talk about why I still think it's better than God Gale. Okay, going back to this clip. What's clear is Gale loves you so much. No matter if you've got some extra tentacles here or there, I should add. Gale will go on to become a professor at Blackstaff Academy and, during the epilogue party, will be his normal, adorable, nerdy self with a happy Tara in tow. It feels very full circle to me. It is full circle. Gale has forgiven himself for his mistake. But he also has mistress forgiveness, too. Not that he needed it, but, you know, it helps. And he has dropped his ambition. Content to live a life as a very talented and powerful wizard with no designs on anything more. He's free of his hubris. In the words of Thomas Merton, When ambition ends, happiness begins. His insecurity, his desperation, his poisonous desire for power all have been healed through the love and support you gave him. So now he can sit still, thankful for what he has. But what does it look like if he does ascend to godhood? So let's go back in time and agree with Gale. We do what he wants. We push Gale to reforge the crown and take what he feels he deserves. In some playthrough, God Gale will challenge Mistra to become the new god of magic, and she will smite him down. And all of that, he was reduced to a crisp, another mortal whose name is added to the archives by Withers. But what happens if Gale decides to claim his own godhood? If he is divine and reduced to one aspect, what embodies him most. I imagine you're wondering how all this came to be. The finer points of divine ascension are beyond mortal comprehension, I'm afraid, but I can provide a rudimentary sequence of events. First, I retrieved the crown of Carsus and reforged it using a series of precise and highly complex Netherese incantations. Then, I used it. As you know, the orb within me was the half-formed Karsai Weaver, magic left incomplete by Karsus's self-destruction. I finished it. Using the crown of Karsus, I turned it into a new form of magic, fused with my being, driven by my purpose. And then I put it to work. As expected, Mistra was unwilling to hand over the reins of the weave, so... I've claimed dominion over another area which I've passing familiarity. Ambition. There's something about the way that he says passing familiarity. It just kind of hits my brain in a weird way. 
And I don't hate it. In fact, I had a war cleric that I played in real life all the way to level 20. And this is what she became at the end. A goddess in her own right. Because she did what was necessary to save the world. Jenny, who let Bahamut use her body as a conduit to fight Tiamat. Jenny, who had given everything she was to her goddess and was betrayed by a secret revealed. I see you, god of ambition, and I would love to have seen what Genesis goddess of passion would have been like with you. Of course you're the goddess of passion. <laughs> passion on every level. Passion of like love and caring and mm-hmm. adoration and lust and vengeance and hatred. Anything that could light a flame of passion and was there. Mm-hmm. I think that's important to remember about deities and what they represent. They're bound to all aspects of it. So one trope used to craft Gale is called simply ambition is evil. Ambition is pretty neutral most of the time. But when followed blindly, like in Gale's case, that's when it becomes hubris. That's when it leads you to your nemesis. Gale becoming the god of ambition is almost an ironic hell for him. He will now never be able to stop trying to challenge other gods for their dominion. Because he has to always go for more, right? That's ambition. He's forever trapped. Some have said that Gale, as the god of ambition, isn't actually an evil or bad ending the way that Ascended Astarian is. But just as Astarian's worst traits were expanded and pushed out all his redeeming qualities in favor of his flaws... So too is Gale's godhood. His own mother mourns him as if he were dead, because he might as well be. His endless curiosity, his awkward charm, and his kindness were replaced by his divine ascension, as he called it. He's now the embodiment of ambition, the very god of it, which was also his tragic flaw. His very hubris is now the only thing left. And his voice just sounds different, like Astarian's did, you know? He doesn't sound the same. No, Gale's voice definitely sounds different. It's his god mode. I do love the fact that a romanced god mode Gale will take you with him and give you a piece of his weave and make you a goddess or a god in your own right. And you get to travel the path and figure out what god you are together. He does call you his lover. You know, epilogue is a little glitchy, or it was, so he still refers to you as a mortal in some pieces. And so hopefully now with the patch six, everything's a little bit better. Mm-hmm. You can still clear gods don't feel the way mortals do. Same with vampire lords and vampire ascendants. He might say pretty things to you. It's another thing to know if it's real. It doesn't sound as real as it was once with Gale or with Starin, you know? The way their voices sounded when they said those things to you before. I think it is a little bit better with Gale because it's like you're another god. I'm not sure if him granting you deity is in any way lesser to his or if you're an equal. Whereas you're not an equal with Ascended Astarian. 
So like he might have that going for him. I believe in D&D godhood, there is no greater, lesser, different god. You know, like there are minor gods and major gods in a lot of religions yeah. in the real world. I don't think that applies in D&D. But yeah. All right. I really, really want to get to this next bit. Because <laughs> I think I've said everything that I have to say about Gale. I am... He's really, truly the character that I'm okay with going either way. I need to see him in my, one of my own playthroughs not going god mode, though, and that might change it. So, that, lovely listeners, is where we would normally end our show. But I have a very special guest to introduce tonight. Oh, I don't know how to describe this man. He's been called my husband, on the internet at least. He's been called a deviant. He's been called Warden Commander. He's been told to go to his room. Now he needs to jump into this one. Hey, how's it going? Thanks for having me. Yay, hello. I do have one last clip to play before we truly get into talking about Gale Dicarios. Kolka <laughs> Shins. Kolka Shins, you are in trouble. Go go directly to your room. Kick him in the... <laughs> <laughs> that was from forever ago. But I had to play it. What? It I, I know I was during the, one of the, uh, like a D&D charity thing but what did i do that like earned that i can't even remember now uh, the clip is just burned into my memory but nothing else <laughs> so what happened in that moment was that uh austin aka teacup created a wheel of random encounters and for every five dollars uh or, or like five or ten dollars donated towards the chair the charity the wheel got spun you jumped in and donated a hundred dollars to charity and fucked the D D campaign so hard. I mean, it was for a good reason though. No, it's for good cause. <laughs> but that clip is forever ingrained in my brain. Kolka shins go straight to your room. I love that that was one of our big first major interactions. But please. Please do let us know who you are for those of you. Actually, I don't think you've ever been on the girls before. I'm not. This is my first time. I'm super excited. Welcome in. Listeners might know you from the Dragon Age Lorecast. You do guest on there frequently. Um, are you on any of the other shows? I've guested on uh, the Assassin's Creed Lorecast once before. And your name is read out every week on the Mass Effect Lorecast, which you've never yeah. been on, though. Uh, okay, I have been on that one. It's just, it's been a while since I joined in, and I need to. Um, but yeah, my name is uh, Kolka or Kolka Shins or, or Cash, um, any, any which one you all want to choose from. And my pronouns are he, him. Thank you, dear. Can you give us a little bit of your origin story and how you came to love Baldur's Gate 3? So, um, 
another friend of mine, uh, Sean, in the Discord, um, in the Cup server, he got me um, Divinity Original Sin 2, which was also made by Larian Studios. And it was a it was a, a turn-based game, um, similar to to Baldur's Gate, but a little bit different mechanics. Um, I very much enjoyed it. I the launcher always had um, it had the original Divinity, original Sin, and then Divinity Original Sin two, and then Baldur's Gate three. And one day I was like. So what's Baldur's Gate 3? This is before the full game had launched. He had been playing the beta um, for like, I think a couple of years by that point. He was like, oh my God, I, I, I will tell you all about it. And the full game is going to be releasing this summer or like a, or in, the, in August, a couple of months from now. So I, um, so I played the, uh, the open beta version and um, and then the full game launched. Didn't have to wait that long, but I was already hooked by that point. Absolutely loved it. Did you pick Gale on your first playthrough back then, or did it change over time? I picked Gale both times in the uh, in the in the beta, and then in the full game. I just wanted to continue on and see where where the the rest of the romance led. As we said, as you all said earlier. Um, there's not a whole bunch in Act One for Gale's romance, but I still just really enjoyed the character. I was drawn by number one, Wizard, him being Wizard. I was playing as a sorcerer, so not a whole lot of like, not a whole lot of use all the time to bring him with me in the party. But I still love like, oh my god, you are the you are the other magic guy. Okay, look, we're gonna be best friends. And then I was like, oh no, I really like you. Oh, super cute um so i was just like i have to see where this is going so we discussed a lot of things about gail today did you learn anything new um i i don't think that i knew um his him summoning tara like at that young of an age and his parents saying like no you can't have a cat um that that was new to me and i liked that and then the the one where he was i had i'd had dialogue with him where he talked about being a student at blackstaff academy um but i hadn't heard the one where he said that he um he he was uh he was disciplined what did he do you said it was like one of the earliest like fun facts you said. yeah he um used the blackstaff to try and teleport back to his room and instead teleported himself to limbo and had to get rescued. <laughs> I hadn't heard that one. <laughs> That's that on the similar vein there, I really like the theory that maybe Gale was a sorcerer first and then we lost all of his magic. Then he was like, okay. I'm just, you know, I had it before. We can get it back this time. I just have to do it the boring way of reading everything this time. Hmm. Or maybe he just didn't understand it as a child and didn't have a teacher and so thought he had to learn it through sorcery. Like maybe it skipped mm -hmm. a generation. I like that a whole lot. No. Now, are there any key factors that we missed? Things that would have brought more depth to this romance? 
I think you guys were very thorough in all of the um, the content that's out there. I it's one of those things like I just want to know literally everything about this man. I want to know more. Like like where's your dad? Like I want to hear that story. I I want to hear more about you know your relationship with your mom. Is was you know some family issues? Is that kind of what you know? Did that contribute at all to to Gail becoming so involved with Mistra in terms of like his his susceptibility to that influence, his vulnerability there, and um, and it's it's those kind of details that I want to know more about from him. I want like a DLC where we go to Waterdeep and we have to like track down all the magical artifacts like or track down all the places he stole them from and like pay them back or something cute like that. <laughs> that would be very cute. Especially because, you know, I think in mine, Gail proposed to me and I was like, yeah, let's move to Waterdeep. Let's go. I want a DLC of us playing at House and Waterdeep together. <laughs> oh, so now I have to know, are you married to Gail or are you his lovely God? Like, are you gods together? <clears throat> okay, when I did the romance, I don't, he was, he did not become a god, and this was before the epilogue came out. And so I haven't romanced him with the epilogue. I have not seen the ending, but it's, so it's just us as as two regular mortals. I I think because Ravada, you said that you just you keep trying to to get the um, ending where he does not pursue the crown, right? Mm -hmm. Well, like I only did one ending so far and like it seemed like the only option was he either was going to go get it himself or I could convince him to give it to Mistra like I didn't realize there was an option to have him just leave it you know I just didn't yeah. want him to have to be Mistress Chosen anymore so I was like forget her girl get your earring yeah. out of your ear first of all 100% I kind of want to see the god ending and I think I might like it because my first playthrough, okay, my first two playthroughs, regular and then a Dark Urge, I ascended a starry on, and I feel like, you know, I've dipped my toes in, in that water. Now let's, let's, you know, let's apotheize Gale next. See, here's my problem is that I want, I just want to see it. I just want to know what it's like and then I'll know that I don't want it as much as I want it the other way but I want to know what the ascendant vampire lord and his god like boyfriend are going to be like together and then can can Gale then ascend the vampire lord to actual godhood yeah, he can, apparently. I kept getting recommended a YouTube video about it when I was doing the research. I'm like, I don't care. I don't want none of that. You guys can have it. I just want to see it. I can always save scum another 30 hours back in the game. That's not a problem. I just want to see it. For science. And sex. And science. <laughs> Sexy science. Mm-hmm. 
Which, okay, I'm sorry, this question is not on the list, and it might be personal, but which scene do you prefer? Um, I am obsessed with the, with the, with the astral projection scene. Absolutely obsessed. It feels, like you were saying, Jen, it feels like the, the, the epitome, the zenith, the absolute culmination of bliss as a concept. Mm. Like it's, it's, it is, it's sublime to me. That is the only word that I can think that, that succinctly describes it. Uh, it's that melding, both that melding of, um, of their, you know, their projections, their souls, their emanations, and then also just like the thinking, like of the sensations that you would be feeling from all of that. I, I, I love, I love it. Oh. Okay, I was like, I cannot be the only one. <laughs> that mm. the way that you said that the personification of bliss in visual format, it. I mm, I don't know what to do with myself. I am literally and physically and mentally and to my soul changed by this game. Mass Effect changed the way that I saw video gaming. Mass Effect is always going to hold. And it brought me to so many people. It brought me to you. It brought me to V. It brought me to Sam. It brought me to Cloudy. It brought me to Queso, who I literally had lunch with today. Like, these are people who are now in my life because of video gaming. But Mass Effect didn't actually change the way that I feel as much as Baldur's Gate has. And this scene now has done something for me that I did not expect at all. Yeah. I love it. It's so good. I just wish that the other scene had as much effort put into it. I was just saying that in the chat. Like, I love that there's a choice because clearly, like, People either really like the astral scene. I I thought it was, I just couldn't take it seriously. And I know I'm not the only one either, but like for those of you who want it, I'm glad you have it. I just wish that the other option was also fleshed out literally, um, you know, the same way, like three minutes of tangible sex, right? Yeah. Because I don't think that like, <clears throat> I think that Gail would, in, in reality, if you put about the same amount of effort into both options, I understand like the developers couldn't do that. But like, yeah, one hundred percent, Gail would be going, you know, to the tens for for the more toned down. I won't say mundane, toned down, you know, atmosphere, and putting just almost the same level of of care and attention to the subtleties of the environment and like making sure that you feel as comfortable as possible as warm and safe and loved and you know still a, a different but a still an equally deep level of connection there and we just don't get that mm, i fully agree with that um because of the fact that the the astral scene is over two and a half minutes long that 
is such a huge amount of cutscene time. I, it's astonishing to begin with. But then the in the bed scene is literally seconds. And all you get is you're just lying there in missionary for half a second. If there had been some rolling around, some pillows flying off of it, show me something, something, anything. Like we don't, we don't even see the leg thing with Astarian's graveyard sex scene unless you have a mod installed, and still people are wild for it. So it's like even though it's it's shorter than ascended Astarian scene, it feels kind of more equal, you know. And then Gail's romance scenes overall, there's only three. And as Yuri Cat and Chat pointed out, one revolves around his ex. One is extremely short if you pick a certain option. And the other is kind of an argument in a boat. It's a very pretty boat. But you know what I mean? Like, it's it's not as carnal. I, I think it's the duality things. We were talking about this earlier, too. Like, people contain multitudes. He can be a very sweet, vulnerable, genuine nerd. And he could also be a freak. He's definitely a freak, okay? You you telling me this man is his probably first experience with sex is with a goddess and he didn't pick up some some skills? Okay, maybe not his first, but at least he's got some skills, right? Yeah. Um there have there are a couple of things about Gail that we did not talk about. Um the fact that Gail also has some pretty negative qualities. When it comes to jealousy, um, there's also the quality that he can get a little creeper vibes. Actually, a lot of big creeper vibes. I don't know if you've experienced this one, but if you don't take, if you are kind of like flirty with him, but you haven't fully locked in his romance and you go to the twins... And you don't pick him to have the foursome with you. He will astral project himself into the room without your permission and just stand in the corner and watch. No, no, you don't like that? I mean, okay, me personally, <laughs> I, like, I would not mind it, but, you know, that's me personally. But I also am, you know, it's the it's the lack of consent, obviously. That's like, no. Yeah. If we had talked about this beforehand, Shep, maybe. Um, sorry, that was a Caden line. Um, if we had talked about this beforehand, Gail, yeah, you can probably watch. I mean, I'm paying for sex and you were in the room while I had this discussion. <laughs> yes, Gail, you can come in and watch. But you didn't ask ahead of time. Consent is key, damn it. He just wants to be in the room where it happened. <laughs> I need a Hamilton reference in every episode now, okay? <laughs> See how the sausage gets made. Mm-hmm. Okay. I mean, yeah. I know I know a lot of people really don't like the jealousy aspect. For me, it's like he gets over it. Part of it is that's his healing journey, right? Like obviously he's jealous because he had affection withheld so much and it also he can just be jealous for being jealous's sake like it's not a healthy thing to do but it makes him feel way more normal honestly because you can address it with him yeah. but 
Yeah. Jealousy is valid. I don't need everybody in this game to be polyamorous. That would make it boring. Mm-hmm. It's the flaws that make them real. Right. As somebody who has done multiple playthroughs, what makes you want to come back each time? It's the um, the degree of the you know the branching decisions that it can feel like a different game almost every time you play it, um, or at least you know for for several playthroughs at minimum. And I don't I can't think of any other game that feels like that and where you feel the evolution of your choices from act to act to act um, like. As much as we all love um, love the Mass Effect series, and there is, you know, the continuation from game to game. Um, certain, you know, the the gravity of your consequences, but it doesn't feel like it culminates, or it doesn't feel like it continues in the same way as it does in Baldur's Gate to me. Same thing with Dragon Age. Like we don't get that same level. It's more of like here's a little Easter egg or a callback, and maybe it'll show up for like five seconds in a cutscene or something um, or be part of the in-game calculus for what ultimately is going to happen whereas this feels very much like oh no like you recruited all these people you've been saving these people's asses for three acts of this game they're going to show up to help you when you give them a call and I just I really I really like that all of that I love that. Oh, all right. Before we wrap up the show for the night, is there anything that you want to shout out or plug? Nope. Besides um, all of the uh, the Discord servers, the Two Girls One Shit Discord server, the the Cups Discord server, um, your own strip channel, um, uh, N Seven Robots, all of them—they're all absolutely wonderful. Um, and it is through through all of that that I got to know you guys and uh, the opportunity to be here to, to hang out with you all today to talk about my favorite romance, my favorite character, and my favorite game. Oh, Is there anything overall big Gale-wise, your final and last thoughts on Gale Dicarios? I'm so down bad for this man. It's not even funny. I need as much of him as I can get <laughs> Oh, all right. I think that sums it up perfectly. Oh, all right. So if you like what you are hearing, please be sure to leave a review on iTunes or on Spotify and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. You can now find me on the Cyberpunk Lorecast with my co-host, G-Toasty, where we explore the foundations of the past, the state of Night City today, and the news of the future for all things cyberpunk. Check out Scyther Audio's newest fan-made production, The Avengers, the audio drama, where you can hear me and a few of our podcasting friends. You can also reach out to me on the Two Girls, One Ship channel on the Robots Radio Discord, and come give us a follow on all the social medias and on patreon.com slash twogirlsoneship. Our theme music was composed by the ever-talented Pipe Man Studios, and our artwork was designed by the esteemed Let's Not Links to those are in the description. I am also on the Robots Radio Discord and on our own Two Girls One Ship Discord server where we nerd out on all our favorite CGI significant others. Be sure to check out our live streams on Twitch on Fridays at 10.30pm Eastern Time, 7.30pm Pacific Time. Our podcast episodes release on Mondays because you need at least one good thing on a Monday. 
So thanks for listening. And remember, beauty is in the eye of the controller. Clearly. <laughs>